Hello, this is Tim Watton. That's Cotton with a W. Welcome to the GIF podcast, which focuses on the power of the mind and being more present to overcome life and health challenges, which helps to bring more resilience, calm and joy. Today, I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Paul McGee. He is a Sunday Times bestselling author, international speaker, and creator of the Sumo brand. An avid football fan who has also worked with elite sports people. He is known as the Sumo guy. He'll tell you why and offer his insights in dealing with life and health challenges. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. It's a real honor to have you with me. Tim, it's really good to be with you, mate. Now, I've read a couple of your books, and we'll sort of delve into them um, as, we, as we discuss your sumo approach and many other approaches. But one thing that I really am drawn to with you is that you're a real wordsmith. You've got some wonderful acronyms that um, I now use, and, and, and also coping techniques that I use in my daily life with, with friends, um, both in a social format, but also when people are having tough times and my, myself when battling with my cystic fibrosis and my diabetes and mental anxiety, um, I bring out certain strategies that you have. And it gives me a chance to actually on my show say thank you because um, you must, a lot of people must use your techniques and then you'll never hear about them in the real time. So today gives me a chance to say thank you. So my question to start off with is, were you always quite a good with wordsmithing and playing with words? Is that something that was natural to you? I think I've definitely been a, a speaker rather than a writer initially. Um, I think, you know, at school, I yeah liked English, was good at drama. Um, lots of people in sport like to play me because it would do their confidence good because they'd invariably be beat. They'd beat me. But no, it's, I think it's really been a question, Tim, of uh, things evolving for me. And I would say a lot of what I write about, the reason why um, some people, not everyone is a fan of my writing style, but I suppose there's two things that have inspired my writing style. Number one is on one level, I'm not the brightest light bulb in the box. So for me, I have to wrestle with an idea and a concept and get it really clear in my mind. It doesn't come always automatically and immediately. So what that means is once I've grasped an idea, and, I, and I'm also very much a pragmatist, when I see how that idea applies to me, I simplify it in a way that I can understand. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, what I do in my writing and my speaking is I guess I, I kind of do simplify things. Hopefully, I don't make things too simplistic, but I'm a great believer that if you want to make an impact in your message, uh, it needs to be sticky and memorable. So I guess I do work hard at thinking I'm very good at forgetting things and I'm very, I, I, I struggle to grasp things immediately. So what can I do to make things sticky and memorable and simple? And um, that's, I suppose, the, the catalyst for how I tend to write and speak. Okay. Now, would I be right in thinking that someone like Dale Carnegie is an influence on you? You would actually, yes. When I um, I was I lost my job through ill health many years ago uh, through ME or chronic fatigue syndrome, 
And after about three years, I thought I was well enough maybe to go back into the world of work, but only on a part-time basis. Uh, my challenge was I couldn't get a job doing anything because no one had hired me because I couldn't pass a medical. So I would say I hired myself. I was flipping amazing at the interview. But actually what happened was when I became self-employed in 1991, I did work for the Dale Carnegie Training Organization, and I spent a year just over a year, working with them, trying to promote their courses. And so I did their Dale Carnegie courses and also read the two main um, Dale Carnegie books, How to Win Friends and Influence People and How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Now, I would not have revisited those books for maybe it could well be almost 20 years but I guess it's a great question to start off with, Tim, because, yeah, in many ways, I guess, as I look back on my career and how I communicate, you would say, yeah, the seeds of Carnegie very much took root and flourished within my uh, kind of DNA and perhaps have influenced me more than I perhaps even have realized. Well, it's not just the way you speak, which I've always been drawn to, but actually I do and am uh, an advocate of your written style. And as a communications professional, I, I dumb things down because if I can't understand it and explain it to my 12-year-old son, God forbid trying to um, make it too intellectual. Maybe we're similar in that respect. I, I think it's very easy to want to impress people and... Um, I'm not here to impress. I'm just here to hopefully share some stuff. And if you like it and you think it can help you, great. And if it's not for you, no worries. Um, and I'm, I always remember coming across this phrase about um, if ever you've done karaoke. And, and I'll often ask my audience, has anyone ever done karaoke or been to a karaoke bar? And then I'll go, well, if you have, maybe you can relate to the following. Knowing the words to a song does not make you a great singer and um, I think some people can be an expert in their topic but they don't know how to communicate that expertise so for me it's not just been acquiring knowledge that's been really crucial to, to developing my business it's also trying to think how do I communicate that knowledge in a really engaging and hopefully inspiring and hopefully sometimes entertaining way now I said in my introduction you're known as the sumo guy now, I think you're not, I mean, I'm not a terribly tall person. I don't get the impression you're six foot five, are you? Um, so that would be fair to say. That would okay. be fair to say. We've probably yeah. got a lot of uh, crossover similarities. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same height as Tom Cruise. Yes. Um, um, now, he actually happens, he's, now he's not as short as everyone thinks, but he's five he's foot seven. seven, isn't he? Um, yeah, so I'm five seven, whatever that is in, in centimeters. But yeah, okay. five foot seven. So when, when you're booked as the sumo guy, I mean, most people will be, of course, mentally thinking of the wrestler size. And yeah. your dear self comes in and you're looking uh, mackily slim and fit. So um, was that a bit of a disconnect? Oh, they were thinking of something different. So why did you, how did you develop sumo? And how long after 91, when you went solo, did it, did it happen? Mm -hmm. Okay, I was running a training course in Glasgow in 2002, and the course, I can still remember the title of the course, was Coaching and Counselling Skills for Managers. Now, I don't actually remember if it was a male or female. I suspect it was a man, but I don't know for sure. But in the midst of me doing this course, some person then says, well, if all else fails, you can always tell them to sumo. And I went, sumo? And he went, or they went, shut up, move on. 
The audience laughed. I laughed. Thought nothing more of it. The next course, I happened to weave the story. I weave in the phrase sumo, and again, it makes a bit of a connection. And again, with a lot of things I do in life, Tim, it's not typically revolution; it's evolution. So I started to, at that point, I was talking about your inner critic and how we got to be careful and how we manage our inner critic. And what I started to then do is, in my talks, I'd go, "We need to shut up." our inner critic mm. and move on and listen to our inner coach so this catchphrase began to take um hold a little bit and, and people just seem to remember it and comment on it and i guess going back to a previous point yeah it was a sticky and memorable phrase and then what happened by about 2004 someone had said you need to write a book called sumo and i remember saying it's not even a paragraph never mind a book <laughs> but i did have a number of ideas at that stage and I suppose what I eventually did was make sumo became the umbrella term to describe a number of my ideas, which I then described as the sumo principles. And um, as we got involved in education, and as we also noticed that some people, even though the shut up bit isn't as aggressive as it sounds, it's more about press pause, take time out, stop, think and reflect. We, we did realize, though, that if we wanted to develop the brand, we sometimes had to be to reframe it in certain contexts so as an acronym although it typically still does stand for shut up move on it can now also stand for stop understand move on and for some people particularly maybe when you're working with children that tends to be seen as a more palatable uh, phrase for them to grasp but the actual ideas themselves the sumo principles haven't changed just sometimes how i package it has okay you've never met the guy that came out with that sumo since have you well, no, and I, I suspect it was a guy, but it could have been a woman. Um, the thing is, when that, those words were uttered in that training course in a training room in Glasgow in 2002, I had no idea that three years later I'd be writing a book with the same title. So you maybe sometimes life gives you an opportunity and it's up to you to sometimes recognize it as an opportunity and run with it. Um, but that, that, that evening when I would have gotten back to my hotel room, I wouldn't have thought, I think I've discovered something here that's amazing and I'm going to develop a brand. It was just a phrase. And in many ways, what started to happen when I began to use the phrase was, again, I was almost doing some unintentional market research because by using the phrase, I started to get feedback that people liked it, um, they'd remember it, and they'd start to use it themselves. Okay, and some of the sumo principles I was looking to delve into to help my listeners around the power of the mind, but also being more present. If okay with you, Paul, can I delve into some of the ones that I think um, are super helpful for me? Yeah, uh, sure. Um, having more agility with the power of the mind. There's, Absolutely. Um, that I'm drawn to um, that helps influences our response to events. Um, would you be kind enough to tell listeners about this simple formula? Yeah, I was in my little Ford Fiesta 1.1 Ford Fiesta in 1992. Goes like a treat, that thing. Absolutely. And I'm there listening to, again, this ages me, listening to some audio cassettes in the car. And I'm listening to an audio program by a guy called Jack Canfield, who some people may know became a co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Yeah. And he just very briefly, didn't even go into much detail, mentioned this little formula, E plus R equals O. And he goes, it's not the event, it's how we respond or react that influences our outcome. 
And you can hear that and go, yeah, 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 fair enough. Whatever reason, it was an absolute aha moment for me because in my life, I realized up until then, when events happened to me, I lived, I realized in hindsight on, with a formula E equals O, if that's the event, you know what the outcome is going to be. And what Canfield again began to sort of stir within me was this understanding and insight that no, 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 two people, two organizations, two families, two businesses can have the same event. You can have a health challenge, you can have a, a marketing opportunity, lots of things. We can all have the same event, but our outcome isn't purely based on the event. It's based on how we respond or react to it. E plus R equals O. And I spend a lot of my life now recognizing that some events I can control, but some I can't. The thing that I can control, though, is how I react or respond. And sometimes when I'm reacting, I'm coming more from what I'd call my primitive emotional part of my brain, what Dr. Steve Peters would call more your chimp brain. Yep. And, and sometimes I'm not getting a great outcome. And it's easy to blame the event for the outcome. But hang on a minute, Paul. You're in this equation. You're in this formula. The event happened, but were you reacting or did you think about how best to respond? So for me, that formula has made me think about being more proactive and intentional on how I do life rather than always reacting to situations. And when things don't go right, blaming the event rather than looking at how I responded or reacted. Okay. And maybe there's an example you can share of something that you put that own formula into practice. Yeah, I um, I remember getting an email from um, a relative who lives in Australia some years ago. When I read the email, I felt angry, emotional, and wanting to throttle him. Um, I was really upset. I was angry at the tone of, of his email and what he'd accused me of. But what I suddenly realized was if I, if I reply immediately in the heat of the moment, um, there's a very good chance that when he gets my reply, our outcome will be that him and I are no longer speaking. And when he does come home at Christmas, to say it's going to be awkward is an understatement. So I was thinking, okay, I actually stepped back for a moment. I thought, okay, we have an email in an inbox. It's an event. But my outcome isn't purely based on his email. My outcome is based on my response to it. And I was very tempted to escalate the issue because I was feeling angry and emotional. But there's um, a quote from a, a book you may have come across by um, Stephen Covey, um, his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of his habits is begin with the end in mind. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, Paul, what do you want your outcome to be here? You have this email in your inbox. What do you want your outcome to be? And if you're comfortable with the fact that him and you may no longer be speaking, um, then send the outcome, you, send the email you want to send. But if that's not the outcome you want, then maybe you need to think about responding differently. So that whole thing about, okay, begin with the end in mind, what outcome do you want? And what happened was um, I chose to de-escalate the issue. And um, my brother came home that Christmas and I met him at the airport and we didn't sing Kumbaya back in the car on the way home, but we had a pretty good Christmas together. And um, a couple of years after that, I had probably one of the most challenging uh, 12 months periods of my life. The only word I could use to describe those 12 months was the word horrendous. And yet my biggest support, even though he's still in Australia, was my brother. Mm. And I have reflected on the fact that if I'd have sent the email 
I initially wanted to send, he might not even be in my world anymore. So it's always a question of remembering, you know, yes, there's an event, but your outcome isn't predetermined. It's, it's the R factor. Are you going to react or respond to it? And I'm a, just like you, I'm a huge fan of Dale Carnegie and how to stop worrying is full of um, stories of quite well-known people who fell out and then for life never ever spoke again because they didn't maybe follow the E plus R equals O formula. Yeah, I think it's in, and coming back to more modern times, you mentioned in my introduction, I'm a football fan mm-hmm. and some of your listeners will remember um, a very controversial and enigmatic football manager called Brian Clough. But what was very interesting about Brian Clough was he always achieved his success alongside his, his assistant. And that was a guy called Peter Taylor. And um, they were both characters, but between them, they were just brilliant. What was interesting was they fell out and um, Taylor went his way. Clough went his way. Clough never achieved as much success without him. And they fell out. And the real tragedy of it is Peter Taylor died at a time when him and Clough were no longer speaking. And in Brian Clough's autobiography, he actually talks about one of his regrets is how much he missed Peter Mm. Taylor and how he wishes they hadn't ended their relationship the way they had. And I think for a lot of us, we, we can have our regrets because, you know, we have that phrase strike whilst the iron's hot, which could be great sometimes. You know, carpe diem sees the day. But there are occasions when when you strike whilst the iron's hot, people get burnt. And, and Brian Clough's outcome was he was no longer speaking to Peter Taylor because they'd had a fallout, they'd had an event. But actually, it was also about how they both responded. And and I'm, you know, mindful of, of all those kind of like... Um, those stories and they are lessons for us to learn um hopefully not by always committing the same mistake ourselves but learning and reflecting on how other people have sometimes done life i completely agree um for someone who has a daily medical regime as myself with both cystic fibrosis and diabetes my whole life has been um, a litany of understanding events that um could happen to me now it could be that i'm in a angry foul mood at the hospital and it's how i respond and keep myself in check with doctors and because you see like a smorgasbord of different people that come into your room and i work very hard and it's not an act to be as super helpful and friendly with each of them yeah um, rather than be the um i think it's uh uh, an acronym you use paul one of my favorites the bma uh sorry bmw bitch a moaner and a whiner and i'm yeah. not a bitch a moaner and a whiner and i work hard because my outcome at the end of the day is they work harder with me um to try and keep me as healthy as possible um so it's just one way that i use that formula in a, in a daily basis plus forming habits is crucial for someone with um hardship um whether it be health or life and I certainly use that formula to make sure that I form and sustain positive habits around my medication because I've got a lot every day, but yeah. also around how I mentally see the world, which brings me into one of your other um, fantastic uh, sumo principles, which is fruity thinking. Mm. And uh, I've often felt with my research, understanding more about the power of the mind, who is the most important person you'll ever speak to? 
And I worked out about 10 years ago that it was myself. Um, and I'd like you to please, Paul, just explain what you've learned in that and how you help people. Yeah, I think um, I'll, I'll often ask the question, well, you don't besides God, if you believe in God, who's the most important person you're going to talk to? And, and it is yourself. And we're having conversations with ourselves all the time. You know, we'll, we'll frame those, the language to describe how we, that those conversations is your attitude, your mindset, your self-talk, your inner dialogue, or your thinking. And so I share with my audience a very simplified uh, little formula um, or, or process called the TIA model or the TIA process. And the T stands for thinking, and I get people to understand that how they think can affect their emotions or how they feel. And how you think and feel can therefore actually influence how you act. So you've got your thinking, emotion, your actions, whatever those actions are, and ultimately you will get some results. So if you're going into a situation thinking, I can't do this or I don't want to be here, um, then that itself can impact how you feel, your emotions. You may be feeling stressed, anxious, uh, disengaged. That can influence your actions. You know, you maybe don't get involved. Uh, perhaps you've got to take on a new task. Uh, maybe go to the gym for the first time and you're thinking, this, I don't want to be here, but my friends bullied me almost into coming. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel enthusiastic when I get there. I think, oh, it's too hard. The, the machines are too difficult to learn. And I maybe try a couple of things and think, oh, no, I'm tired out. That's too heavy. So my actions are I kind of fairly, I quit fairly soon and you get a result. If your thinking is, all right, I've not done this um, before, but I need to think about my long-term health and, and how this could benefit me, and I decide I'm not going to kind of like become Superman or Superwoman overnight, but I'm going to just plod away at it, get into a routine, then maybe that thinking can help you to feel differently. Your emotions are different. You act differently, and ultimately you get different results. So I'm trying to help people understand that results that we often get in life are very much influenced by how we think. And the results you get when you go, Tim, to the hospital, uh, you're making a decision, you're making a choice with the way you think about how you're then going to ultimately act and behave with those doctors and nurses. And those actions you take um, will give you some results. And you could argue that be, there's a phrase, behavior begets behavior. So if I'm acting in a friendly, positive way to people, maybe that influences how they respond and, uh, and deal with me as well. So the problem we have, though, with our thinking is I, I talk about we can get into faulty thinking. In other words, ways of thinking that can actually increase your stress um, and, and, and undermine your confidence. And, you know, suddenly you're going, whoa, 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 well, I can increase my stress. Yeah. And my anxiety. Yeah. And you can also decrease your confidence and your motivation. And, and I unpack for people different types of faulty thinking. So one that I think I mentioned previously, your inner critic, you know, um, that voice inside your head that, yeah, highlights your weaknesses. And I I'll often use a very a visual uh, representation of your inner critic of being that red boxing glove. And, and how easy it is to beat ourselves up, to tell ourselves we can't do it, and not to have what I'd call kind, constructive conversations with ourselves. I also talk about the broken record. You know, we just go on and on about an issue, and it's like, is it okay to have a moan? Yes, it is. Having a moan can be healthy and helpful. But sometimes that 
broken record moaning goes on for too long and it's like we need to put on a different song and another type of faulty thinking i have is the martyr syndrome and and that is where we end up just being like a victim and spending our lives another little acronym of mine playing the bse game blame someone else and again going back to yourself tim and other maybe listeners who've had some challenges in life it's not your fault that you've got cystic fibrosis and diabetes and what you could have responded to that is to be a bit of a martyr and to be a bit of a victim and why why me but clearly by what you've done is you've thought well okay i've had this event this experience but actually being a victim and being a martyr is not going to help me here and um, so there's different types of faulty thinking that people have and how I try and help people to move on from faulty to fruity thinking is I give people a set of questions them to reflect on. So um, and one of those questions is, OK, so where is this issue on a scale of one to ten where ten's death? And suddenly you realize what stresses you out, what you beat yourself up about, what you moan about, uh, what you feel sorry for yourself about. Yeah, sometimes it could be pretty high up that scale, but very often it's it's probably less than a three. And, yep. and what I like about one of the other questions, and you're a role model of this, is one of my other questions is, how can I influence or improve the situation? And if you think about what you're doing with your podcast and with your book and your blogs, it's like, okay, I have got this event. I could wear the, the victim T-shirt. I could be a martyr. I could spend my life blaming someone else. I could, you know, send out invites to the pity party every day. But what you have chosen to do and others listening to this podcast have chosen to do is to go, okay, how am I going to best respond? How can I influence and improve this? And maybe there are lessons that I can learn from this experience that I can share to benefit other people. So that's a little bit of a, a very quick whistle stop tour of uh, why your thinking is important, but why we need to develop fruity thinking because we often can get caught up in faulty thinking. That's um, super helpful. And, and to hear it uh, again, I'd never stop. I would never tire of hearing the way you explain things. And I use that one to 10 scale a lot, not just myself, but um, at work, I think people, um, they see the red rag to the bull with an email or someone's done something that's annoyed them. And I just go one to 10 scale. Where yeah. does it fit? And actually it just, not in a arrogant, oh gosh, I can't believe you're letting that wind you up. Just in a human way. Just, just use this scale for a second, just to park where this fits. Yeah, and I think the thing is, we do recognize our humanity and our primitive emotional part of our brain will be upset and will react. But the thing is, sometimes we're reacting to a one or a two as if it's an eight or a nine and the consequences are you you know your stress makes you stupid you can react you can escalate things you get upset you can increase conflict and it's like whoa 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 what was this issue actually really all about and it's trying to help um myself initially because i developed all these ideas for myself i didn't kind of go i want to write a best-selling book i kind of thought okay i struggle with a lot of things in life what tools are out there to help me and then by realizing they started to help me then i realized um maybe they could help other people as well so recognize our humanity recognize our fragility at times and we will react but we don't have to like carry out those reactions. I'm not telling people to stop being angry. I'm saying, okay, maybe you are initially angry, 
but where's that anger going to take you? And one of the safeguards, if you like, to put in place is to get perspective on things because what sometimes makes you angry is not as big an issue as you sometimes think it is. Agree. Um, now, you quickly touched on something, um, one of your mindsets around change your T-shirt. And yeah. I have to admit that I do use that um, when I'm on stage. I do a lot of public speaking internationally about my survival. Importantly, what I've learned from it and then how I put my physical and mental strategies into practice. Because it's a long time, 48 years, to endure what cannot be cured. Um, and so when I read some of your principles, it's just feedstock to me. Tim, that's really useful. I will leverage that, not just myself and my daily practices, but also how I can help others. So changing your T-shirt concept, just so those that are listening understand, every day I go into the wardrobe to get changed. Metaphorically, I could, I could put on two T-shirts. One says victim. Tim, you've copped a hard deal. You've just been up all night coughing uh, with your cystic fibrosis and your, your diabetes injection has just bled into your work shirt and you're trying to get your son ready for, and he's lazy, uh, he's a boy, can't get him out the door, you know, and, and everything's boiling point. Now, which T-shirt do I put on, victim or, or survivor? And I will, most of the time, I'd say actually 100% of the time, because the, the victim one just isn't my gig, I pull out the survivor one, and that is my mindset for the day. And I bookend the day with how I project myself to the world that's an internal dialogue bookending. And then when I'm out the door, I then portray that to the rest of the world. And, and I take personal responsibility for that mindset. I think that's, um, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, there are, we, we, we dealt a, a set of cards in life. And um, as I've, I've heard a number of speakers say, it's not the cards you dealt, it's how you play your hand that really matters. And you could look at your cards and perhaps other listeners could look at what life's dealt them as a set of cards and go, I ain't got many aces there. <laughs> um, but maybe the ace we all have is, is the ace of self-awareness and, and recognizing um, if I take a little bit of responsibility, that doesn't mean I've got to do it all by myself, but if I seek support and, and take some ownership, particularly for my mindset, you know, your mindset matters massively in so many situations. And, um, I mean, I've just had some contact with a, 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 well, I call him a lad, really. He's the son of some friends of ours, but he's playing professional football in the U.S. at the moment and just scored an amazing goal over the weekend. But um, a year ago, he was let go by his team and um, he thought he was going to have to give up his dream. And we had some time together uh, when he was back in England and he just, and his hunger and his desire was phenomenal. And he's gone back to the States. He's signed a professional contract. Um, he's, he's playing, you know, in front of some pretty big crowds over in the US. And um, he could have worn that victim T-shirt, but he hasn't. And it's like, OK, a team's let me go. Is this the end of my career? I'm going to I'm going to give it I'm still going to give it more another shot. And um, that's what he's done. And for all of us in life whether we're, we're dealt a good hand or a bad hand or an average hand. It's not just the cards you dealt, it's how you play them that matters. And how you play them is so critically and crucially influenced by that thinking and those internal conversations and that dialogue you have with yourself. And um, the fact that you help this, uh, 
this lad, young man, do so well and he's scored that wonderful goal. And, and I imagine he's one of many people you've um, managed to turn around their mindset. And, you know, as one has uh, a, hopefully a long enduring life, those are the moments where you look back and go, I was actually pivotal in in helping that person because I know intuitively that I can help myself by helping others. And it's not all about me. I'm not one of other Paul's other great acronyms, which is a tote uh, talks only about themselves. I love that one. Um, and, and what I wanted to draw on now is another thing that's super important to me, which is gratitude. That when I bookend the day, uh, often in the bathroom, because it's that one day where it's still silent, just me, you look yourself in the mirror, you can't lie to that person. Mm. Um, I'm at that point, go through my positive affirmations, but also what am I really ha happy about? What am I really pleased with that I've got? Rather than moan about what I don't have. How have you seen gratitude being super important to you, Paul? You know what's... Um fascinating just about the whole sumo message and i didn't know this when i wrote the book the word sumo not as an acronym but as a word in latin can mean choose and every day we have whether we realize it or not we have a choice and we can we can choose to grumble about things and there are plenty of things in life you want to grumble about be it the weather particularly if you live in the northwest of england um you can you know you can grumble about politics you can crumble about 101 different things you also have a choice which is to go you know what can i be grateful for and your brain helps you find what you're looking for but you've got to sometimes tell it what to look for so if you drive and you're thinking of getting a new car the car you're thinking of getting you start spotting them everywhere because your brain is suddenly going oh that's relevant and of interest so you notice it the world, however challenging life might be for us, the world is pulsating with possibilities and positives. It's amazing. You know, it's still a privilege to walk this planet. It really is. It's a miracle we're alive. I don't know the exact statistics, but the chance of you being you and me being me is like a million to one. You know, there's a million sperm or so released, but only one gets to fertilize the egg. And if it had been a different sperm, it would be a different you and me, you know, and we take life for granted. And, and so what I, I do every morning and every night, and I've been probably doing this now for about two years, is I have what I call my thankful for. And when you've said to me, okay, what are you thankful for? But actually my for is spelled F-O-U-R. So I challenge myself every day that I will think of four things I am thankful and grateful for. And it's typically based on what happened, um, you know, that day. And I replay the day. And I, I come, come up with my little match of the day highlights, if you like, of thing, good things that happened. And that's the last thing I think about as I go to sleep. When I wake up in the morning, I replay that. And um, a podcast I listened to by uh, Rangan Chatterjeet, uh, Dr. Rangan Chatterjeet, is um, he, he talks about mindfulness and gratitude and he has his three P's and he, he thinks about, okay, what is, um, who's a person that you're thankful and grateful for? 
So yesterday, like yesterday, I spent um, part of it in in uh, in the lakes visiting a family friend, and I'm thankful for maybe particularly my godson Josh and and seeing how he's coaching all the younger children in in um, tennis. So what's maybe a person you're thankful for? What's a pleasure? that you may be thankful for from that day. And um, I was thinking about, um, you know, my little pale ale beer I had last night when uh, my wife then came back from her weekend away and we sat and relaxed and I enjoyed my little pale ale. So I have me thankful for Chatterjee has this, um, you know, these three Ps. So think of a person, think of a pleasure, and then maybe think of a promise, something that you're looking forward to. And I think we, it's just all about finding these little tools, these little uh, frameworks, if you like, to get off autopilot and to structure our day in a way that helps set us up for the best possible day we can have, even if the roads are a nightmare, the weather's awful, and everyone around you is irritable, you're going to cope with that better if you start with an attitude of gratitude rather than grumbling. But your brain doesn't automatically find those things to be thankful and grateful for. You need to steer it in the right direction. I, I think that's great. And it's a habit you form. We talk about habit forming. It's not just you're thankful for high days and holidays. It's a daily practice. Oh, I, I think it has to be. I mean, Zig Ziglar, American motivational speaker, once said, motivation is a bit like having a wash. You've got to do it more than once to get the full benefit. <laughs> and it's a bit like going to the gym once, isn't it? And going, looking at your body and going, it didn't work. <laughs> you know, life is about those daily disciplines. And I think we sometimes don't like that word discipline. But I'll tell you what, in my experience, and I'm a so-called motivational speaker, but discipline will get you further than motivation. Because motivation might get you started, but it's the daily disciplines that keep you going. Agree. And I, I'd liken it uh, to uh, fixing your roof while the sun is shining. Just get these practices in, fix your roof, so that should that lightning storm happen, you're actually in a safer place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and life is about being a little bit more proactive and living life more intentionally rather than constantly living reactively and on autopilot. Now, one thing that I uh, am an exponent of that maybe is my own version of a to-do list, I add in two other elements, um, uh, know and feel as well as do. So every day, and I don't write it down because some people write journals, I have yeah. a know, feel, do list. What do I want to know? What do I want to feel? And what do I want to do? In your writing, I noticed you have a feelings list. Yeah, I think it's very interesting to think about how do you want to feel about a particular situation. I mean, I think your your concept of what I call the KFD, no feel and do, is brilliant. And I think about that. I coach people when they're presenting. What do I want my audience to know? How do I want them to feel and what do I want them to do? But again, I think um, I need to think about, okay, well, if I want to have some good feelings – What's going to influence that? And again, it's going to be so related to my thinking. But I also give myself permission to um, have some what I call a bit of hippo time sometimes. What are hippos doing mud? They wallow. So I'm not trying to constantly, I mean, I want to deal well with life. I want to be the best version of me I can possibly be. Sounds cliche, but I do. And so I know that how I feel can influence that but what I also need to give myself permission to do is you know sometimes 
um, it's okay to not always feel okay. To feel mad, bad, or sad is okay. And I, I would have a thought there might be times for you, Tim, and, and for those listening, where sometimes with all those tools you've got in place to set you up for a great day, sometimes stuff happens and you go, I need a bit of hippo time here. I need a little bit of a wallow and I'm going to give myself permission because to have that, because I don't think it's helpful to suppress those emotions that some people might label as negative. You sometimes need to process them and acknowledge them, you know, digest your disappointment, sit with your sadness. Um, so feelings, yeah, I want, I want to develop, you know, healthy feelings and, and, and above all, I think one of the most important feelings to have is peace of mind. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that there are times when life's just throwing a lot at me and I give myself permission to have some hippo time and have a bit of a wallow as well. And I certainly think of your hippo time. Um, I, sadly, with cystic fibrosis, people die far too early. It's very tragic. And ones I've become very close to, uh, when they do pass, um, I definitely feel the need just to be um, mindful of them and but also harness the motivation to keep my own journey going this yeah. go for it yeah no i think i mean grieving is necessary and i think what's really unhelpful from some so-called motivational self-help gurus is this denial of the negative side of our emotions and suppress our pain and let's be positive and look at ourselves in the mirror every morning going, I'm a tiger, I'm a tiger. You know, I think Sumo is giving people a set of tools and you don't cut the hedge with a lawnmower. <laughs> so it's a, it's a brilliant lawnmower. It's a fantastic lawnmower, but it's, there's a context to it when it works. Yeah. And I think I like to give people tools and also a, a large dose of reality and honesty and um, and acknowledge that, you know, seriously, particularly with a bereavement, you would need to grieve. And all of a sudden, that question, where is it on a scale of one to ten, where ten's death, is not an appropriate question to even think about. So allow yourself grief. But there's also that sense in which in life, you know, how do I we're still alive on this planet. We've still got the privilege of, of waking up every morning, even with our challenges that we may have, may they financial, relational or health. So how do I make the most out of every day? So grieving for those that have gone is a healthy thing to do. But I think sometimes you can spend too long wallowing in the mud over certain challenges you may experience and you can get stuck in the mud and that can become your new comfort zone. Yeah. And I always go, life is too precious and too um, too short at times to spend too long wallowing. So I, I give myself permission to have my hippo time, but I also remind myself it's okay, but it's temporary. Thank you for that, Paul. Now we talked about mindful or mindfulness and at work, um, I've been to mindfulness uh, workshops and I'd say the majority of people in that room intellectually understood that it made sense what mindfulness is but probably quite a few of them went back to the desk and the first um frustrating email or conversation they probably reverted back to their previous type or form now you have a great way to frame mindfulness with an object which is the lowly beach ball can you explain that to my listeners please 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's about, I suppose it's about mindfulness. It's about a lot of different things. If you were to imagine this six-color beach ball and I'm holding it in front of you and you're at one side of the room and I'm at the other, um, I'm looking at the beach ball and I'm asked what color is it? I'm seeing blue, white, and green. You're seeing red, yellow, and orange. Um, so we're seeing the same thing, but we're seeing it differently. And in terms of using that as a metaphor for our relationships, if I want to build a better relationship with you, with a colleague, with my boss, with my kids, with my partner, or even my ex-partner, I haven't got an ex-partner, but if I did, the reality is sometimes I need to shut up thinking my, my sound of the beach ball is the only perspective there is and move on and explore yours. So sometimes that maybe that's an interesting way of framing it as a, as a mindfulness tool but it's being mindful and aware that how i see the world how i see the beach ball isn't necessarily how other people are seeing it but for me mindfulness is about just giving yourself a moment to press pause and be still and just it we've got we can get so caught up in the uh the activities of the day and and one, you know, I, I I'm I I I think the best way to develop a habit is to link it with another habit. So don't ask me if this is doing me any good at all. But Greg Mort Norman, the, uh, the the golfer, apparently when he cleans his teeth, he uh, stands on one leg, and it helps with with his core stability and maybe helps improve his balance. Bizarrely, I'm glad we haven't got CCTV in my bathroom <laughs> because I I clean my teeth uh, standing on one leg and I use both my right hand and my left hand sometimes to clean my teeth because what I'm trying to do is break the routine, break the autopilot and kind of become very much more present in the moment. Um, not every morning, I've just started doing this. First cup of tea that I make rather than I'll be checking my phone while it's brewing, I pour the hot water on the tea bag. I notice the steam coming up. I notice the bubbles on the surface of the tea. And I just, just take a moment not to be doing, you know, the curse of multitasking. No, just be still, be mindful, be appreciative of this moment, of, of this activity. You know, that we have electricity to mean you press a switch and before you know it, two minutes later, you've got hot boiling water. That these this tea's been provided for you. You know, I even think, you know, some people, you know, maybe of a particular faith will 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 say grace before um before they eat their food. Well, you could be an out and out atheist, but maybe you want to take a little bit of time to be mindful and be thankful of the food in front of you. And then maybe when you're chewing it, savor the flavor a little bit. And sometimes I think it's very easy to live life with and what's next rather than sometimes enjoying what's now. Yes. So a lot of different ideas there. And the, the beach ball, I guess, is just about trying to understand other people's perspectives and the the one leg cleaning your teeth with the opposite hands, which you normally do and the tea bag, just very, very trivial things but which are designed to help us, yeah, break the curse of autopilot and, and just fast forwarding through life and maybe just being a bit more mindful and present in the moment. And, and on the subject of being present is something as well as the power of the mind that I'm drawn to. And certainly this podcast is looking to help people understand 
how they can achieve what sometimes they feel is almost impossible to appreciate now because um, it almost in some ways feels unachievable. Well, what isn't now is now, but, but actually how do I achieve that? And what does it feel like? And I, just from what you're saying, can hear your probably do some sort of meditative practice or just appreciate what you're seeing and feeling in the moment, those three special words. And it's taking yourself out of, um, there's plenty of time, you know, the future's where all the solutions are. Actually, in the moment, I don't suffer. I've suffered in the past. I will suffer in the future with my health problems. But right now, I do not suffer. And if I can build up those pivotal points and present moments throughout the day, I have more days where I feel I am enduring rather than suffering. Uh, and so my, my next question to you is, um, how can people help themselves with the false belief that there's plenty of time? And just, just appreciate what, what they've got in front of them right now. I think um, there are obviously be some of your listeners who don't have anything like the kind of health challenges that you face. Um, and therefore you can get complacent and so it's um, a visual metaphor I use in the sumo book and it's imagine um, just imagine seven people stood up in front of you and each person represents a day of the week so the first person represents Monday and then Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday etc but imagine each person doesn't just represent a day of the week but a decade of your life so monday 1 to 10 tuesday 11 to 20 wednesday 21 to 30 etc all of a sudden those seven days of the week which represent a decade of your life if you are as i'm about to be 55 if i started life on the monday of my life using this metaphor i'm now on saturday afternoon i'm halfway through saturday and it's like, but I'm 55 and I've got years to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just remember, you are on the Saturday of your life. Now, let's also, you know, remember that Sunday represents 61 to 70. So hopefully we'll get a few bank holidays, you know, bank holiday Monday and Tuesday. But what it makes me realize is the Saturday afternoon of my life can influence how the evening goes and also how I live this right now can influence what my Sunday might look like and what my bank holiday Monday and maybe even bank holiday Tuesday can look like that. You know, my choices have consequences. I, I need to take responsibility for my health and for my lifestyle because generally we are living longer. There has been a little dip in the last two or three years, both in the UK and the US in terms of people living longer actually that's there's been a bit of a blip in that recently but generally we are living longer but living longer doesn't mean we're living healthier so i need to think okay i'm 55 let's just say i've got a quarter of a century left on this planet maybe i'll get to 80 maybe i'll be fortunate to do that maybe i won't but maybe i will what can i do that's in my control to make this next 25 years this next quarter of a century a good one Mm. And that means taking a bit of responsibility and that means not taking life for granted and it means not acting as if I'm invincible. It means actually um, I, I, life is fragile and, and constantly thinking about, well, one day I'll, 
dot, dot, dot. Well, maybe I need to think about now and about the actions I need to take now. So I think we need to be aware of complacency. And, you know, one of my other sumo principles is called learn Latin and the Latin phrase referred to briefly before carpe diem, seize the day. Now, metaphorically, seize the day could mean, you know, literally today. But going back to the other previous metaphor, each day of the week represents a decade of your life. I want to I want to seize the next decade of my life because how I live this decade will influence the next decade. And I have taken it um, and some people think quite fatalistically to the next level, which is I live every single day like it could be my last. Now. I'm super ho hoping that it won't be my last, but if I go into today from what I wear to how I carry myself, um, I was, it makes me really enjoy the moment more. Um, if you had uh, the subject of this podcast is the gift, uh, what gift or message would you like to leave listeners with Paul? I think ultimately have kind of conversations with yourself um i think we can be really unhelpful in the kind of conversations we have with ourselves and i think about two questions particularly maybe to reflect on you know how would the best version of myself handle this situation or if a friend was in this situation what advice would i give them be more solution focused but also kinder and constructive in the conversations we have with ourselves rather than going, I'm a loser. Um, I can't do this. I've never been able to do it. I'm so stupid. Have kinder, more constructive conversations with yourself. Thanks for that. And how can people find you? Um, because I reckon that people are going to look, look for you because of what you, your advice that you give. What's the best sure. Advice? The best way, my website is the sumoguy.com. You can also connect with me via Twitter at the sumoguy. And if you're on Instagram, just to keep the theme going, you can find me on the su at the sumoguy. So if you remember the sumoguy, you're going to find me one way or another. Great. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Paul, and maybe it, uh, the first of many. Um, thanks very much, uh, everyone, for listening. Um, you can um, give feedback on the GIF podcast. Find me on Twitter, Tim Watton, and also same for Instagram. And as always, I'll finish off with saying, Tim Watton, yours cup half full. Thanks very much.